Section 2 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 6, by various authors. Section 2. A Homecoming, by Frederica Bramer, 1801-1865 Frederica Bramer was born at Turla Manor House, near Abo, in Finland, on the 17th of August, 1801. In 1804 the family removed to Stockholm, and two years later to a large estate at Arsta, some twenty miles from the capital, which was her subsequent home. At Arsta, the father of Frederica, who had amassed a fortune in the iron industry in Finland, set up an establishment in accord with his means. The manor-house, built two centuries before, had become in some parts dilapidated, but it was ultimately restored and improved beyond its original condition. From its windows on one side the eye stretched over nearly five miles of meadows, fields, and villages belonging to the estate. In spite of its surroundings, however, Frederica's childhood was not a happy one. Her mother was severe and impatient of petty faults, and the child's mind became embittered. Her father was reserved and melancholy. Frederica herself was restless and passionate, although of an affectionate nature. Among the other children she was the ugly duckling, who was misunderstood, and whose natural development was continually checked and frustrated. Her talents were exhibited in a variety of directions. Her first verses, in French, to the morn, were written at the age of eight. Subsequently she wrote comedies for home production, prose and verse of all sorts, and kept a journal, which has been preserved. In 1821 the whole family went on a tour abroad, from which they did not return until the following year, having visited in the meantime Germany, Switzerland, and France, and spent the winter in Paris. This year among new scenes and surroundings seems to have brought home to Frederica, upon the resumption of her old life in the country, its narrowness and its isolation. She was entirely shut off from all desired activity. Her illusions vanished one by one. I was conscious, she says in her short autobiography, of being born with powerful wings, but I was conscious of their being clipped, and she fancied that it would remain so. Her attention, however, was fortunately attracted from herself to the poor and sick in the country round about, and she presently became to the whole region a nurse and a helper, denying herself all sorts of comforts that she might give them to others, and braving storm and hunger on her errands of mercy, in order to earn money for her charities, she painted miniature portraits of the crown princess and the king, and secretly sold them. Her desire to increase the small sums she thus gained induced her to seek a publisher for a number of sketches she had written. Her brother readily disposed of the manuscript for a hundred rix dollars, and her first book, Techningar ur Radexlifet, Sketches of Early Life, appeared in 1828, but without the name of the author, of whose identity the publisher himself was left in ignorance. The book was received with such favor that the young author was induced to try again, and what had originally been intended as a second volume of the sketches appeared in 1830 as Familian H., the H. family. Its success was immediate and unmistakable. It not only was received with applause, but created a sensation, and Swedish literature was congratulated on the acquisition of a new talent among its writers. The secret of Frederica's authorship, 
which had as yet not been confided even to her parents, was presently revealed to the poet, and later bishop, Franzen, an old friend of the family. Shortly afterward the Swedish Academy, of which Franzen was secretary, awarded her its lesser gold medal as a sign of appreciation. A third volume met with even greater success than its predecessors, and seemed definitely to point out the career which she subsequently followed, and from this time until the close of her life she worked diligently in her chosen field. She rapidly acquired an appreciative public in and out of Sweden. Many of her novels and tales were translated into various languages, several of them appearing simultaneously in Swedish and English. In 1844 the Swedish Academy awarded her its great gold medal of merit. Several long journeys abroad mark the succeeding years, to Denmark and America from 1848 to 1857, to Switzerland, Belgium, France, Italy, Palestine, and Greece from 1856 to 1861, to Germany in 1862, returning the same year. The summer months of 1864 she spent at Arsta, which since 1853 had passed out of the hands of the family. She removed there the year after, and died there on the 31st of December. Frederica Bremer's most successful literary work was in the line of her earliest writings, descriptive of the everyday life of the middle classes. Her novels in this line have an unusual charm of expression, whose definable elements are an unaffected simplicity and a certain quiet humor which admirably fits the chosen melu. Besides the ones already mentioned, Presidenten's Dotterar, the President's Daughter, Granarna, the Neighbors, Hemet, the Home, Nina, and others cultivated this field. Later she drifted into tendency fiction, making her novels the vehicles for her opinions on important public questions, such as religion, philanthropy, and above all the equal rights of women. These later productions, of which Hertha and Sisconliff are the most important, are far inferior to her earlier work. She had, however, the satisfaction of seeing the realization of several of the movements which she had so ardently espoused. The law that unmarried women in Sweden should attain their majority at twenty-five years of age, the organization at Stockholm of a seminary for the education of women teachers, and certain parliamentary reforms. In addition to her novels and short stories, she wrote some verse, mostly unimportant, and several books of travel, among them Hemen i Nyverden, Homes in the New World, containing her experiences of America, life in the Old World, and Greece and the Greeks. A Homecoming from The Neighbors Letter 1 Francisca W. to Maria M. Rosenvik, 1st June, 18, blank. Here I am now, dear Maria, in my own house and home, at my own writing-table, and with my own bear. And who then is bear, no doubt you ask? Who else should he be but my own husband? I call him bear because it so happens. I am seated at the window. The sun is setting. Two swans are swimming in the lake, and furrow its clear mirror. Three cows, my cows, are standing on the verdant margin, quiet, fat, and pensive, and certainly think of nothing. What excellent cows they are! Now the maid is coming up with the milk-pail. Delicious milk in the country! But what is not good in the country? Air and people, food and feelings, earth and sky, everything there is fresh and cheering. Now I must introduce you to my place of abode. No, I must begin farther off, 
upon yonder hill from which i first beheld the valley in which rosenvik lies the hill is some miles in the interior of smallland do you descry a carriage covered with dust in it are seated bear and his wedded wife the wife is looking out with curiosity for before her lies a valley so beautiful in the tranquillity of the evening below are green groves which fringe mirror-clear lakes fields of standing corn bend in silken undulations round grey mountains and white buildings glance among the trees round about pillars of smoke are shooting up vertically from the wood-covered hills to the serene evening sky this seems to indicate the presence of volcanoes but in point of fact it is merely the peaceful labor of the husbandmen burning the vegetation in order to fertilize the soil at all events it is an excellent thing and i am delighted bend forward and am just thinking about a happy family in nature paradise and adam and eve when suddenly bear puts his great paws around me and presses me so that i am nearly giving up the ghost while kissing me he entreats me to be comfortable here i was a little provoked but when i perceived the heartfelt intention of the embrace i could not but be satisfied in this valley then was my permanent home here my new family was living here lay rosenvik and here i was to live with my bear we descended the hill and the carriage rolled rapidly along the level way bear told me the names of every estate both in the neighborhood and at a distance i listened as if i were dreaming but was roused from my reverie when he said with a certain stress here is the residence of ma chere mere and the carriage drove into a courtyard and stopped before a large and fine stone house what are we going to alight here yes my love this was by no means an agreeable surprise to me i would gladly have first driven to my own home there to prepare myself a little for meeting my husband's stepmother of whom i was a little afraid from the accounts i had heard of that lady and the respect bear entertained for her this visit appeared entirely mal apropos to me but bear had his own ideas and i perceived from his manner that it was not expedient then to offer any resistance it was sunday and on the carriage drawing up the tones of a violin became audible to me aha said bear so much the better made a ponderous leap from the carriage and lifted me out of hat-cases and packages no manner of account was to be taken bear took my hand ushered me up the steps into the magnificent hall and dragged me toward the door from whence the sounds of music and dancing were heard see thought i now i am to dance in this costume forsooth i wished to go in some place where i could shake the dust from my nose and my bonnet where i could at least view myself in a mirror impossible bear leading me by the arm assured me that i looked most charming and entreated me to mirror myself in his eyes i then needs must be so discourteous as to reply that they were too small he protested that they were only the clearer and opened the door to the ballroom well since you lead me to the ball you shall also dance with me you bear i exclaimed in gaiety of despair so to speak with delight cried bear and at the same moment we found ourselves in the salon my alarm diminished considerably when i perceived in the spacious room only a crowd of cleanly attired maids and serving-men who were sweeping merrily about with one another they were so busied with dancing as scarcely to observe us bear then conducted me to the upper end of the apartment and there on a high seat i saw a tall and strong lady of about fifty who was playing on a violin with zealous earnestness and beating time with her foot which she stamped with energy 
on her head she wore a remarkable and high projecting cap of black velvet which i will call a helmet because that word occurred to my mind at the very first view i had of her and i know no one more appropriate she looked well but singular it was the grand lady of general mansfeld my husband's stepmother ma chère mère she speedily cast her large dark brown eyes on me instantly ceased playing laid aside the violin and drew herself up with a proud bearing but an air of gladness and frankness bear led me towards her i trembled a little bowed profoundly and kissed ma chère mère's hand she kissed my forehead and for a while regarded me with such a keen glance that i was compelled to abase my eyes on which she again kissed me most cordially on lips and forehead and embraced me almost as lustily as bear had now it was bear's turn he kissed the hand of ma chère mère right respectfully she however offered him her cheek and they appeared very friendly welcome my dear friends said ma chère mère with a loud masculine voice it was handsome in you to come to me before driving to your own home i thank you for it i would indeed have given you a better reception had i been prepared at all events i know that welcome is the best cheer i hope my friends you stay the evening here bear excused us and said that we desired to get home soon that i was fatigued from the journey but that we would not drive by carlsfors without paying our respects to ma chère mère well very good very good said ma chère mère with satisfaction we will shortly talk further about that in the chamber there but first i must say a few words to the people here hark ye good friends and ma chère mère knocked with the bow on the back of the violin till a general silence ensued in the salon my children she pursued in a solemn manner i have to tell you a plague upon you will you not be still there at the lower end i have to inform you that my dear son lars anders werner has now led home as his wedded wife francesca bruin whom you see at his side marriages are made in heaven my children and we will supplicate heaven to complete its work in blessing this conjugal pair we will this evening together drink a bumper to their prosperity that will do now you can continue your dancing my children olaf come you here and do your best in playing while a murmur of exultation and congratulations went through the assembly ma chère mère took me by the hand and led me together with bear into another room here she ordered punch and glasses to be brought in in the interim she thrust her two elbows on the table placed her clenched hands under her chin and gazed steadfastly at me but with a look which was rather gloomy than friendly bear perceiving that ma chère mère's review embarrassed me broached the subject of the harvest or rural affairs ma chère mère vented a few sighs so deep that they rather resembled groans appeared to make a violent effort to command herself answered bear's questions and on the arrival of the punch drank to us saying with a serious look and voice son and son's wife your health on this she grew more friendly and said in a tone of pleasantry which beseemed her very well lars anders i don't think people can say you have bought the calf in the sack your wife does not by any means look in bad case and has a pair of eyes to buy fish with little she is it is true but little and bold is often more than a match for the great i laughed and so did ma chère mère also i began to understand her character and manner we gossiped a little while together in a lively manner and i recounted some little adventures of travel which amused her exceedingly after the lapse of an hour we arose to take leave and ma chère mère said with a really charming smile 
I will not detain you this evening, delighted as I am to see you. I can well imagine that home is attractive. Stay at home to-morrow, if you will, but the day after to-morrow come and dine with me. As to the rest, you know well that you are at all times welcome. Fill now your glasses, and come and drink the folk's health. Sorrow we should keep to ourselves, but share joy in common. We went into the dancing-room with full glasses, ma chère mère leading the way as herald. They were awaiting us with bumpers, and ma chère mère addressed the people something in this strain. We must not indeed laugh until we get over the brook, but when we set out on the voyage of matrimony with piety and good sense, then may be applied the adage that, well begun is half won, and on that, my friends, we will drink a skull to this wedded pair you see before you, and wish that both they and their posterity may ever sit in the vineyard of our Lord. Skull! 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 resounded from every side. Bear and I emptied our glasses, and went about and shook a multitude of people by the hand, till my head was all confusion. When this was over, and we were preparing to prosecute our journey, ma chère mère came after us on the steps with a packet or bundle in her hand, and said in a friendly manner, Take this cold roast veal with you, children, for breakfast to-morrow morning. After that you must fatten and consume your own calves. But forget not, daughter-in-law, that I get back my napkin. No, you shan't carry it, dear child. You have enough to do with your bag and mantle. Lars Anders shall carry the roast veal. And as if Lars Anders had been still a little boy, she charged him with the bundle, showed him how he was to carry it, and Bear did as she said. Her last words were, forget not that i get my napkin again i looked with some degree of wonder at bear but he smiled and lifted me into the carriage end of section two